Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs. Providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking from the UK, London, the land of scones and clotted cream. And if you don't know what that is, look it up and even better, try it out. It's beautiful. And in this episode, we're going to talk about taking Agile and working to big it up creating Agile autonomy organisation-wide. And our guest is going to share his passion around this subject. It's safe to say me and our guest are really aligned on our enthusiasm around making it Agile as authentic as possible. So let's not delay any further. Let's welcome our guest. So welcome to the podcast, Sung. How are you, you, my friend? Glad to be here. I'm doing great. Whereabouts in the world are you, sir? I am holed up in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Yes. And how is the kind of city kind of dealing with the, with the challenges of the world right now? Well, uh, they just announced school closures, uh, which was triggered by a, I believe, a 3% a positivity rate in, in, uh, in statewide testing or citywide testing. So that's uh, obviously going to lead to, or ostensibly going to lead to further restrictions and lockdown. So I'm not looking forward to that. However, uh, I have to say, uh, prior to that, it was really great going out to eat out to outside uh, in a restaurant that had a really nice established setup with heat lamps and, and social distancing measures and, and contactless uh, interactions with with the staff. So yes. um, I, I was I I'll say I I'm, was very much enjoying it in the sense yeah. that it was a it was a nice experience. Obviously, it's not great for restaurants and um, and that I do have some familiarity with that industry. Um, so I, I know how painful uh, it is for restaurants right now, um, but I'm, I, I'd like to believe that throughout all this, uh, the industry will come back stronger and better than ever. So I'm, I'm, I'm maintain, remaining a lot of hope. So in terms of uh, Warby Parker, then um, mm-hmm. obviously you're you're in the kind of uh, you know spectacle a spectacle spectacles industry. <laughs> yes. And um, what does a, a director of kind of engineering do in that kind of space? Uh, primarily, I would say it's. You, the best way to summarize it is to make sure the software development lifecycle is meeting the business needs. That through the course of iterating on software, through the course of releasing software, and and make and then ultimately um, uh, crafting solutions for the business, that we're constantly adding value. That whether it's through uh, just simply maintaining the status quo and make sure making sure that everything is operating at at, uh, at healthy levels to adding new features to delivering uh, new features that help the business realize its, its goals and objectives. Um, so yeah. if we have a new product uh, and the business is intent on selling a product, both online and in, in stores, that we are making the necessary changes to our applications uh, to be able to surface that product and to make sure that customers are able to, uh, to acquire them. Cool. Uh, so, so I would say that's prim- my primary responsibility. Uh, but I think more, uh, in addition to that, I think, uh, most important, my, one of my most important 
responsibilities is make sure my team is growing and mm-hmm. and and not by size necessarily but also in terms of that every successive day that they get a little bit better they get a little bit more proficient and that whether they stay here or move on that they will spend that their time spent here would lead to long lasting improvements in their code in the way they uh, act as professionals and in the ways that they go about their day to day yeah that sounds great it sounds like a very agile very kind of nimble because uh, there's always change there's always something happening i guess you know and um, and and we'll kind of touch on uh, the kind of uh, the, the approaches that you you use on that so as a senior director, obviously you've been on quite a, an interesting journey to, to where you are now. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a rundown as to how, how you got to where you are? Sure. So um, I, you could say that I was a child of the first dot-com bubble back in the late 90s. I joined an a, a early-stage startup that was intent on being a disruptive force in the legal and insurance industry, a company called CyberSettle. And uh, I was initially hired as a general, what you might call a general tech person. Uh, I was responsible for maintaining that hardware, uh, implementing software solutions when necessary. And uh, I pretty much acted as the, the, their tech resource uh, for, for a large per, uh, for the initial part of my journey. And uh, a software development was done through a consulting company. Uh, but I worked very closely with that software development company to not only make sure that the applications that they were building for the company were effective, but over the course of time, just through my own sort of sense of curiosity, I started getting into uh, the code. And uh, I, had, I, I knew how to program uh, mostly. At an, I started at an early age. I was very much blessed with a, a parent who really knew that the computers were the future and got me a computer very early on in life. And um, my, also uh, the school that I attended uh, had computer, essentially early computer science learning courses. But I, I picked it up as a, as a hobby as a kid and then all through my teen years. Uh, but I never really thought of it as, as a profession. I just was looking at as tech as a general sort of an area for me to, to settle in and as, as a career. And so, uh, well, to make a long story short, uh, I went from being the general tech person to ultimately joining the engineering uh, function of that of that company. Right. And um, the company had a very sort of meteoric rise and catastrophic fall. However, it never dissolved, and I uh, through through uh, through a series of of, of, of various events, uh, eventually became the chief technology officer. Uh, and, and that's not saying much because it was very, still a very small company. It was a very small company by then, uh, but I was responsible for the application development of that, of that company. I was responsible for all aspects of the technology of that company. And I, uh, I stayed there for almost over a decade and it was a, an amazing and terrifying journey <laughs> that had, uh, uh, almost every, uh, I could say that my time there. Uh, I experienced almost every single um, technology cliche you can imagine. Right. And uh, I made my, and I think uh, if I'm going to be completely honest, I probably know what I know today mostly because of all the mistakes that I made (laughs) while I was there. And that uh, despite, despite, despite everything, I I survived. I I, uh, translated that time at that company to 
a position leading an engineering team at a company called Seamless Web, or at least at the time it was called Seamless Web. Now it, it most more, or at least is more commonly known as Seamless.com. And uh, I joined Seamless.com in 2011 as the first engineering hire. I was responsible for uh, putting together a team and, and also uh, helping, which was then at the time, uh, a product company that was looking to iterate quickly and to deliver features on its monolithic web app uh, on a monolithic web application that was largely maintained right. by a, 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 a software development group out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Right. Uh, so I joined, I helped build a team in New York. We eventually merged with Grubhub and that brought about a whole series of changes. Uh, uh, the, the least of which is I was tasked with rebuilding the Grubhub and Seamless websites. Yeah, uh, We had two large monolithic web applications. And in the, in, as we were planning out the future of the company, we knew we wanted to move towards a, a, a more uh, microservice-based architecture. And in order to uh, interact with that uh, architecture, they needed someone to rebuild essentially a client tier. Yeah, and uh, so I I took that responsibility and ran with it, and uh, I'd like to say that uh, despite some <laughs> initial challenges with how uh, this, the CTO at the time decided to release this application and and iterate on it, uh, I'm happy to say that I we I believe we we met the goal of replacing a, a beloved consumer platform with a brand new application. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, eventually also took over the mobile team for, for, for Grubhub, which was, it was Grubhub by then. It was, that was a, that was the agreed upon uh, name for the entire organization. And then, uh, after spending about, uh, close to eight years at Grubhub, I decided I needed a change. And so I took a gamble and joined an early stage startup called Ventobox just to sort of recapture some of the, some of the magic that I, I thought I had, uh, I missed when I first joined Seamless. Yeah. And uh, didn't work out. Uh, didn't really feel like it was the right fit for me. Uh, and after uh, about a, just a couple of weeks of looking, I saw this opportunity at Warby Parker to lead up their software engineering, and I jumped at it. It was uh, it was a company that I have known for quite some time. I've been a customer of uh, yeah. for uh, for over eight years, and knew that it was a company that was run on integrity. It was a company that really had a strong belief in its principles and was and believed uh in in making sure that everything they did was with conviction along those principles and also a company that didn't want to simply exist for the sake of you know making money or uh, going through the typical growth patterns that they really wanted to uh, leave the world in a better place uh, through its actions and um, that all resonated with me at the time and yeah and um, and i'm very happy to say that that not only have i been able to sort of be a part of a company and and that has a strong set of core values uh, uh that I, I believe that i've helped uh, sort of take warby parker software engineering further uh, into the next level by uh trying to really make sure that we were doing things in a way that was going to help uh, build value for the business Brilliant. I love that. And I, I kind of uh, was quite struck by the word that you just used a second ago, because it kind of resonates with me. And it's the word integrity, you know, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of companies, they have uh, 
a lot of internal PR uh, and, and external PR. Um, but it sounds like this company, Warby Parker, um, seems to kind of live and breathe those because, uh, you know, I, I imagine mm-hmm. they really kind of go out of their way to, to bring them to life. Absolutely. It's one of our, in fact, leading with integrity is one of our core values. And we really truly believe that in order for us to not only feel good about what we're doing, uh, uh, but we also believe that through leading, through setting that example and through uh, taking action that uh, uh, demonstrates a high high degree of of conviction and belief in what you're doing, that your team and everyone around you will follow suit and, and take that example to heart. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I mean, just uh, kind of taking a step back. I mean, Warby Parker is something that I, I haven't hadn't heard of because here in the, in the UK, uh, obviously mm-hmm. it's a different. Market. Are you are you um, um, do you have a kind of position here within the UK in terms of, or is it mostly US and Canada? No, it's it's currently we're only in the US and Canada, um, but yeah, it's obviously def, we are always. Uh, thinking about what's next and uh, we'll see what happens if uh, we'll cool. end up with an upper uh, store in across the pond. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And and in terms of, um, you know, bringing this kind of integrity uh, piece and uh, the core mm-hmm. values to the company, um, you know, what, what kind of methods do you use as a leader to kind of bring that to life? Because obviously outwardly you want to kind of convey them, but also internally you want to live them. So how, mm-hmm. do you, how as a leader do you kind of uh, bring that about? Well, first, obviously, when you're in a position of leadership, you want to set the right example and you want to make sure that everything you do, if you had to pass it through the lens of those core values, that, that you'd come out uh, you'd come out uh, clean on the other end. Yeah. So some leading integrity is one. Uh, being data-driven uh, data driven is another. Uh, so we have uh, we have this notion of trust, uh, trusting but verifying or presuming positive intent. Yeah. And so... Uh, we, we always want to make, I always want to make sure that if I were the recipient of a directive or of a message, would I question what uh, my, uh, what, what I question what my manager is saying to me or telling me. Um, similarly, uh, making sure that we are, uh, you know, prone to, that we are uh, leaning towards action. If I feel that there is something that needs to be attended to, am I responding in a timely enough manner? Yeah, uh, and so always, always challenging myself to take a look at what I'm doing on a on a day to day basis and comparing against those core values, and and hoping that if given in the final analysis, if someone were to analyze what I was doing, you know how how well would I have lived up to those values? It's something that I do just on a you know continual basis to keep myself honest, but also know that it's in the best interest of my team to see that being realized in front of them. Yeah. And what kind of uh, tools do you use as a company to kind of trigger those? Because sometimes we all forget. I know I forget, you know, I've got, I, I forget sometimes the values I'm supposed to be running on. Thankfully that most of them are just around the kind of humor space, you know? Um, mm. But uh, the, how, how does your company kind of remind itself uh, internally that this is what we need to be aligning to? So oftentimes at much larger uh, meetings, uh, we always begin the meeting by reciting our core values. Oh, cool. Um, it's a way to, it's a way to remind people, especially newer people that this is what we believe in and this is what we stand for. And obviously it's also a great refresher for th- those who have been here for a while that uh, these are the things that we aspire to. So always keep these in your heart as you go about your business. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a, that's a sort of ritual that I, I, that we, we, uh, 
we uh, ex we perform before large gatherings, before uh, broader um, uh, broader um, um, organized events. Yeah. Just as a just as a, I think a, as a matter of course. Um, yes. So that's one, and the other is uh, being uh, holding other people accountable when when we don't see them living up to the core values. It's really easy to correct people's behavior if you have a core value that you could point to and be like, "This is why your actions don't follow this particular core value." Yes. As opposed to just sort of saying, "I don't like what you're doing." Well, yes. why don't you like what I'm doing? Yes, that's right. That's quite good. You get kind of have a conversation on it, which kind of this is one of the reasons why uh, I'm a big agilist because. One of the ideas is to kind of create that transparency of behaviours and get get uh, uh, not peer pressure. Well, actually, no, it is a kind of peer pressure. The idea is is that you know we're working together, therefore we keep us each other accountable for what we've committed to do, including the values and principles. Um, um, so, do, do you use agile uh, a lot in your organisation? We do, yes. Yeah. So, I think if you were to ask. Uh, anyone in an organization, you, if whether or not we're an agile shop, I think they would definitely wholeheartedly agree. Um, we we do, however, also allow for a lot of autonomy in our team. So while we are an agile shop, uh, we also allow our teams to self-organize and and ultimately decide how they want to tailor the agile process to to meet the uh, sort of the the predilections of the team, but yeah. also in, in the ways that it's going to ultimately tr deliver the most value. That's great. I, and this is a, an, an area of Agile. So I, I think sometimes people uh, pick up Agile Scrum and then run with it like it's some type of cookie cutter uh, solution, <laughs> quick fix. And, and uh, right. we've had, you know, we spoke around this before uh, and uh, before. And it's, you know, it's good to hear that you're getting the essence of what Agile is about, which is to create self-organizing teams to, to kind of um, delegate that autonomy uh, down to the ranks and, and I suppose kind of create leadership nearer the, where the work is done. Of course, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and so as a kind of leader, I, I, you know, again, I, this is something I personally learned as well was letting go and giving people autonomy, um, and that has its challenges, right? I, how absolutely. do you and, and what what kind of challenges do you kind of get from that, and and how do you kind of deal with them? Uh, well, uh, the, I think the, especially in technology, you want to make sure that while you give you grant your teams autonomy and you want to make sure that they're given a lot of runway to operate that there are still guardrails and constraints in place to uh, ensure that no one team or one individual does something that's going to be too difficult for other teams to absorb so yeah. for example if you have an application and the application is written in python you want to make sure that everyone writes python and mm -hmm one and no one is saying go oh, well you know I, re I really want to try kotlin and i really want to build this module in kotlin and yeah. so i'm going to go ahead and do it in kotlin <laughs> that well i'm sure there are good reasons for why that engineer or that team may decide to go down that path it's important that that they don't if if ultimately that's going to lead to disruptive uh, disruptions across other teams or it's going to lead to knowledge gaps and and and, and situations where that that service or that application may not be maintainable mm. once that engineer leaves. And obviously that's no good. That's not good for everyone. So um, setting some amount of constraints and boundaries, I think is important, but not so much where the team doesn't feel like uh, that they can't move at a, at a reasonable pace. Yes, that's right. It's finding that balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And in terms of finding that balance, is that something you, you find challenging or is it, uh, is it something that you find easy? 
Um, it's, it's always challenging, obviously, when you're trying to impose some level of restrictions. Uh, at some point, you want to build consensus. You obviously want to build a consensus and you want people to feel like they're all involved in the decision making process and that they have a say in, in what are the constraints. But it's, I mean, let's face it, not everyone's going to agree to everything yeah. uh, evenly. So sometimes you do have to be a little bit more on the let's try it first. Let's see how it goes, and let's go ahead with this. Let's go ahead with this decision first, before we get to absolute one hundred percent consensus across everyone. Yeah. Um, and then what I've found is that generally, that when you take that approach, even if you have people who are initially against it, that as long as you as long as you prove that the reasoning behind your decision was grounded on some sort of value, some sort of obvious value statement, or something that you as a leader believe was in the best interest of either the team or the company that, um, that people ultimately, uh, will, will accept it and that they, that, that they see it as something that was done with the best intentions, not something to simply make people's lives more difficult. Yeah. Coming from a, uh, a, a place rather than ego you're coming from a place right. of reason you know it's uh yeah that's that's one i learned uh, pretty late on in my leadership kind of journey um absolutely um, so yeah that's that's good and and in terms of uh giving or teams autonomy i'm kind of curious as to any real big success stories you've had out of that by by handing this autonomy to the teams where you've kind of uh, thought wow that's pretty impressive i can think of one example like grubhub where we had to uh, we had to figure out how to best refactor the iOS application, and coming from uh, it's coming from application development for for almost twenty years, I saw MVC as a bit dated, and I when uh, I saw that the current iOS application was following an MVC pattern, granted it was very much a pattern blessed and sanctioned by Apple. I knew that there were going to, or my intuition told me that there were going to be some challenges with, uh, with at least in terms of iterability with an, going with such a sort of a sort of a very stodgy, what I thought was a very stodgy application pattern. And uh, my tech lead on the iOS team said, no, trust me, you want to stay with this pattern. You want to ultimately uh, follow the Apple playbook and you want to make sure that you continue, uh, that we continue along you know, bless patterns because not only does it make it easier to uh, make ultimately for the team to make the changes it needs to, but it's a it's much easier to recruit engineers who have a familiarity with a well-established pattern than say some of the newer patterns like MVVM or, or Viper or some of the other uh, paradigms that have been uh, uh, posited by the Apple community. Yeah, and so I said, you know what, you're the iOS team lead. I trust your judgment. You do what you ultimately think is best. Just know that the objective that we're trying to achieve is faster iteration times on some of the feature requests that we're getting from the product team. Yeah. And and that worked out brilliantly because he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly how to best get to the outcome that I had stipulated. And by uh, allowing him and his team to follow down the, the path that they set, do the refactoring in a way that was still consistent with the, the established patterns uh, over the course of, several months uh we were able to get to a, a state where we saw a demonstrable improvement in, in velocity because uh, the team had, had had done had, had taken the steps necessary to clean up the application yeah. to make some of these uh modules that they had more sensible so that they could be iterated on more effectively yeah. and um 
you know, while it's been some time, I, I do believe that the iOS app is still very much uh, of high. It had had definitely got to the point where they were not only accelerated the velocity, um, but they were releasing on a on a very regular basis, which has tremendous benefits for a consumer facing app like Grubhub. Brilliant, that's great, and and uh, yeah, it's great to kind of hear a, a success story around that, and get and I guess handing that to the teams it allowed them to really kind of own it you know they they mm-hmm. they were putting their skin in the game you know kind of thing absolutely and uh, and, and, and i know what it's like when uh, you take your own kind of ideas you tend to be a bit more kind of passionate about them. people love their own ideas and they and they kind of fight for them so what about kind of the other side of the coin uh where autonomy's gonna get gone a bit curl at the edges you know uh hasn't quite worked out and the lessons from that so one opportunity that uh, I believe that I can think of was when back when Grubhub was sort of st- still going through its, its products uh, evolution and, and, or, and sort of getting its team structure a little bit more, uh, more refined uh, was the case of, of, of uh, actually uh, scrum methodologies. Right. And, and there was a, a belief that scrum should be, or at least the ceremony should be flexible and that, teams should choose not to do certain ceremonies if they felt it wasn't in their best interest, which I guess at the time that thought it made sense because you sort of take that agile credo and be like, let the teams organize uh, with themselves and let them decide on what makes sense for them. But I have found that, that, that in that particular case, not, fo- not following through on certain ceremonies like a retro or like a very thorough grooming and planning process um, and still being able to call yourself agile had the consequence of not letting the like sort of the core principles of agile really surface when, it, when uh, in the court in the, in the in the course of the iteration cycle. So self improvement and and being able to reflect on past mistakes is I think one of the key uh, principles of agile. That's why you release fast and in some cases even fail fast. But if you don't have a retro and you don't have the, you don't take the time as a team to sit back and sort of, sort of evaluate what went wrong or, or really sort of put, hold yourself to account and say, did we do things the way we expected them to, to do them? Then I think you lose a lot of that, well, the benefits of being in an agile um, environment. And so that was one case where I might, me having several teams, Henry, I, I, did, I did think it was in, in the team's best interest to establish at least some bare minimum set of deliverables and artifacts when it came to uh, running an agile shop. So um, making sure that you have retro notes that you can share not only within the team, but with other teams so that they could potentially learn from them. Yeah. Uh, making sure that you have a planning process that at least tries to, uh, that always has a clear set of objectives. And you're going to planning, not just to talk with a backlog, but with the idea that you will have a, 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 a a, a commitment and a, a set of, of expectations that you're broadcasting to other teams so that you're not doing things in a vacuum. So those I think are some areas where, you know, maybe you do have to kind of rein in yes. some of the autonomy and say that again, going back to the sort of this, the, the concept of constraints that there, you can do what you want, but you have to ultimately have, make sure it fits within this box. Yes. Otherwise um, you're not, you're, you're likely not going to get the objective you're looking for. Yeah, I, th- I love what you say there, uh, Sun, because, I mean, these ceremonies are there um, for a reason. There's a why. 
and uh, and I think sometimes when you look at the why, uh, you kind Correct. of start to realize, well, actually, I see the value in that. Um, and again, agile isn't about just delivering fast and and uh, and being agile. It's also about learning the way we work, you know, and learning about exactly. Agile, you know, so it's um, yeah, a lot. I like that, and uh, yeah, so autonomy is great, but it but it has it has to be balanced, you know, with what's right. And and I guess different teams can maybe be more autonomous than others because they're a bit more mature, you know, the um they 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 understand the principles and values of agile enough to be able to uh to then play with them and be get artistic and elegant um absolutely yeah that's where and one other concept of agile which i think is important is everyone having a shared agreement of what the outcome is yeah and 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 what what exactly is everyone aspiring for it's one thing to say hey i'm my team is going to deliver on committing this feature that's great but what are the what are what are the uh, what are the consequences of that feature? What are the downstream effects that that feature is going to have on related systems? Yes. Are you clearly defining that so that when you do release that feature, that people aren't sideswiped or surprised by something that that feature does? Yes. Um, I could think of an example where a team, uh, a past company uh, team released a feature. Everyone was so excited about this feature being released, but they didn't do a database analysis. And as a result, the, this new feature uh, flooded the database with millions of additional uh, write requests, which had the consequence of pitting down every other system that depended on database. Mm-hmm. So, um, if had the uh, had the engineering team responsible sort of mapped that through and said, not only is my objective to deliver that feature, but I'm also want, I also want to deliver that feature and not have any uh, any uh, late any sort of uh, catastrophic impacts on related or ancillary systems. So I think clear being crystal clear about what the objective is, I think is also another important practice for all agile teams to follow. Yeah. And noticed uh, a few times you've mentioned the word outcome, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which is music to my ears because, uh, it, it sounds like you can hand over outcomes to teams easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's this, I, I believe it's called commander's intent where you can, Tell a team what you're looking for. What are you What are you hoping to achieve? What's the outcome that you want to see them uh, deliver? And that you let them figure out how to get there. And, and that can have really powerful uh, effects on not only making the team feel like they're sort of in control of their own destiny and can and ultimately come up with solutions, uh, come up with solutions rather than being told how to impl- do implementations. That's right. Um, so that's, I think, a, a big part of, of really sort of fostering that sort of sense of not only um, ownership, uh, but also pride and authorship of what they're doing. Yeah, I love that. And I can imagine that really accelerates the growth of these teams, you know, from a, an individual level and of the team uh, dynamic, you know. Absolutely. Um, so uh, in terms of, uh, we've kind of got a note here around measuring, okay? What, mm-hmm. what do you measure? Do, do you do a lot of measurement in your kind of uh, leadership uh, space, uh, measuring uh, metrics? Uh, yes, uh, that's definitely something that we're trying to implement more robustly around here at Warby. But in the past, I would say almost everything that we do should be measured. Um, going back to that company where I was uh, the CTO, uh, my CEO was a former uh, high-level GE executive, and he wore his Six Sigma black belt with pride. And he was very, very uh, intent on making sure that anything that I did or that my teams did had some sort of measurable quotient. What, you know, what was it? What was what was the impact? How, how 
how were you deciding between alternatives uh, based on, uh, and what, what were the sort of the governing data points that helped lead you to that decision? And then ultimately, and also making sure that the outcome was what you expected. So, um, well, yeah, so I would say that, that while it was definitely challenging sort of being under, uh, under sort of that sort of scrutiny, it really helped shape my opinion about how things should be handled and whether and what going into both decisions and outcomes with a high degree of confidence that uh, you that you were successful in, in getting to that outcome uh, or are a big part of how at least how I like to do things. Yes. And whether it's velocity, whether it's um, uh, you know a- application performance, SLAs, or uh, these are all things that I, I, w- I would love to make an integral part of all teams, not because it's a way to hold them accountable in sort of a sort of a punitive way, but it's a sense of pride and it's a sense of accomplishment. I love, I love nothing better than to take an engineer who's starting off uh, measuring their velocity over a period and then revisiting that engineer six months or a year later and point to their initial velocity and go, see how much you've grown, see how much you be better you become as an engineer um, in terms of output, because you were generating five points for at least uh, initially, and now you're almost at 10 points yeah. and matching some of your peers at, at your level. Um, that's a great way to help develop their confidence. But when in the in the sort of the broader organizational challenge of, of leveling and calibration, velocity can be a powerful tool to sort of figure out whether or not people are placed in the right positions. Yeah. Um, now, there's always going to be uh, exceptions and there are always going to be things that aren't captured in the velocity metric like mentorship and um, and, and, and especially in, in, in technical leaders who have to play a more uh, sort of high level role. But so that's why it, I do ultimately like to draw that back to the team and look at team velocity, especially if you can uh, identify how senior technical leaders are in, in, impacting a team's velocity. Um, but that being said, individual velocity is still something I think has a lot of value, and as long as you use it carefully and not and not uh, intimidate people with it, it can be extremely powerful. That's right. I mean, that's got what my kind of follow-on question for that is: what you know, where have you seen measurements, either personally or kind of seen them misused on an organizational level? Because you know, everything's got a double-edged sword, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not uncommon for you to hear about places where people are or sandbagging points or even told team sandbagging points just to kind of improve their overall velocity. Yeah. Uh, velocity being uh, used as a, as a proxy for productivity. Um, that's, they're not the same velocity is really just meant to measure how effectively there's challenging complexity. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, at least in, in my view, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, velocity should be a reflection or the points used to generate velocity should be based on complexity, not man hours or any sort of, time uh value um but yeah it's it's again that's why it's got to be used with a healthy dose of uh caution and ultimately it's the team velocity that matters so i try my best not at least when i have more of a direct role in this i try not to publish the individual velocity but focus more on the team's velocity and then have separate conversations with team leaders about individual velocity or uh, just again just as a way to to calibrate and to um to identify potential issues if one engineer is maybe either um, not meeting uh, the expectations at that level, or in some cases when they're they're seemingly over uh, exceeding expectations and finding out is there something wrong with how they're estimating? Are they are they not uh, potentially taking into account some other things that um, that they should be doing during that work? 
uh, that don't get reflected in, in their velocity. So it's yeah. a signal, nothing more. Yeah, I like that. And, and so um, if I could wave a magic wand song and mm -hmm. I, could, I could create any measurement for me, what would be your kind of wish? What is it that you could like to measure that you can't measure right now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say if there was a if there was a very effective way of measuring value creation or value maintain uh, value maintenance, um, I've been I've been telling my teams that there's really when it comes to uh, in technology, we are value maintainers in the sense that we make sure that the lights are on, but we're also value creators and that what we do has demonstrable impact on the business and, and, and ultimately I'll help the business achieve its goal, uh, usually uh, overarching goals, which is revenue and growth. Yeah. So if I could easily come up with a formula or, 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 or metric that says what an engineering team or engineering engineer does, can how they affect either of those two um, uh, aspects, that would be great, but obviously that's not that easy. Yeah, <laughs> By the way, yeah. someone would have done it already. That's quite interesting. I love how you mentioned maintaining because I think this is something that many uh, people kind of miss uh, because if you can't maintain it, then everything else really doesn't really matter, to be honest, does it? You know? Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's got me thinking, actually. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, being able to tell to it's it's a bit thankless, obviously, because no one it's not always the it's not the, it's not the sexiest metric, but uh, I I know at least with terms of SLAs and uptime, there's a very that that's where there's a, probably a much brighter line between what an SLA has on what the impact an SLA has on a company's ability to generate revenue because yeah. if you're not if you're not up you're not collecting revenue that's right yeah <laughs> but uh, I I would love for that aspect of the engineering role to be celebrated a bit more because i think it sometimes gets taken for granted yeah. and and sometimes we we lose sight of the fact that there is a team there are engineers and even whole teams of engineers thinking entirely about making how to make sure that the systems are 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 set up properly and that they're uh, they're that that uh, on any given day that they have a high degree of confidence that a transaction will go through yes. um but uh but yeah obviously it's it's the value creators and the future development and and the yes. promotion of, of new new work that tends to get a bit more sales right. well here goes this challenge of you then Sung. you know i want you to create a celebration for maintainability <laughs> you know in the organization because i think you're absolutely bang on uh that is a really important big part of your business you know to make sure that the lights stay on and things are running because that's not there yeah things there you know so absolutely i look forward to hearing what that celebration is and how often you do <laughs> <laughs> for sure. um yeah. excellent so coming back to um i was going to touch on actually the kind of covid situation because we mentioned sure. that at the beginning how have you found your organization has dealt with that uh, uh, from a technology perspective kind of keeping things going your team's more distributed than ever so uh one of the one of our other values is leading with empathy and we're a company that really prides itself on trying to make sure that we're not only empathetic to our customers by offering them services and products in a way that they uh, appreciate but also try to make sure that our team feels like it's appreciated and that we're very sensitive to the challenges that they face in this in this you know the new normal as it's been called and then that you know working from home 
having to deal with the, sort of the, 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 the challenges of being in a home environment where your, your SO may be also working from home and you have your kids sort of in, in the next room um, taking virtual classes or, or if they're too young um, with not enough adequate childcare that you're accustomed to having. Um, these are all things that we try to very much uh, sort of think about as we craft policies and, and introduce protocols around working from home, yeah. such as trying not to book meetings after a certain time, um, trying to make sure that people have the equipment they need. So uh, providing them with allowances to go and acquire um, either a new desk or um, a new monitor or anything else that they that may, that may make their work from home situation a bit more tenable. Uh, but yeah, it's all about, and, and of course, this, and at, at the heart of everything, is it's, it's about feedback. It's about hearing what they're dealing with and trying to uh, listen and, and, and find out what are some of the areas that maybe, you know, despite our efforts to try to help make their lives more, or make their lives better at home, or what are we, or aren't we hearing? Like what is getting, not, not what isn't getting addressed by us? Um, yeah. So uh, I would say that's generally how we try to approach it. Uh, and I would I would say, however, if any group in the organization has adjusted to this transition, well, it's software engineering because uh, I think for a lot of engineers, this is a, sort of an ideal state. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely do appreciate sort of being in an environment where they can focus on coding. Minimal distractions are minimized to a certain extent, at least those that are produced by work. And uh, yeah, as someone who's definitely had his fair share of, of coding long projects at, uh, at a time, I definitely enjoy, I more enjoy coding in my nice chair at home uh, <laughs> with all my creature comforts around me and I can spend hours in front of that terminal as opposed to being in an office with, um, a, you know, whole, with a great office to be fair, but it's definitely not as comfortable as it is. Working yeah. And, and in terms of um, uh, the ability for your teams to work well and, uh, you know, at least productivity, efficiency, or what we're going to call it, velocity. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you found that it's kind of improved things, or has it made it more challenging? I would say it's it depending on the engineer. It's probably a little bit of both. There are definitely some engineers who have thrived, and there are definitely some engineers who have been more distracted than others, given some of the again, given some of their home situations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a mix of both. Uh, we try to address or at least try to, at least for those who are having more difficulty, we try to provide as many accommodations and adjustments as possible. Um, but yeah, it really seems, seems, seems to depend on a case by case basis on balance. However, um, ergonomics notwithstanding, which, which is probably the biggest challenge that engineers face because it is difficult coding on your couch. Yes. Four hours on end. Um, are they, uh, for the most part, the, I think the reduction in distractions and, the ability to be in a more comfortable environment has led to some modest improvements in productivity. Um, so, and, and the metric that we use to try to really gauge that is uh, engagement, uh, sort of a company wide engagement. And while there's definitely still challenges with how working from home has affected our social, uh, our social, the social aspects of work, and it's definitely affected some of the challenges that the work from home schedule has on their personal life. Our team is still very highly engaged and our team still is very confident in how we're go- moving as a company and how we're uh, sort of as a, as a company addressing the COVID situation, both as a producer of a product that's necessary for the broader community, but also as a company trying to make sure that its employees are set up for success at home. 
Yeah. Wow. That sounds great. And uh, I, I love the idea of having a kind of core value around empathy because uh, it's nice that somebody, a company to actually state that uh, rather than it being something that's assumed. Uh, um, I guess by stating it, it becomes more engaged uh, and yeah, I, I, I like this. Hey, hell, I want to work for, uh, you know, for them as well now you know it's uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that it labs are a really good company to work we're very empathetic as well we we tend to kind of watch out for each other and understand each other's kind of needs because after all hey we're all human beings okay absolutely and um so in terms of uh, you know leading in a large or organization uh, with lots of uh, initiatives i mean what's the kind of mm-hmm. biggest challenges you find around that uh, as a kind of the tech leader in that space I imagine the, the you know the initiatives that you have across the organisation they touch lots of different departments and I and I imagine that you you have to kind of uh, take them into consideration. Um, how do you find that uh, the challenges around that? Uh, I would say yeah. So great question. It's 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 ultimately about what is the right amount of alignment along all the teams. Hmm. Again, with with the idea that you still want teams to maintain their autonomy and still feel like they're empowered to do uh, what they need to do. Um, what, what, what are the, what are those sort of guardrails or, or what, what are the things that ensure that teams are, are, are all operating within a certain set of uh, parameters so that we minimize um, unintended side effects and we minimize, uh, uh, you know, uh, things from coming out from left field yeah. um, that, and I would say the other big challenge is when you have, uh, business initiatives that are extremely cross-cutting that can touch several different subsystems, everything from the e-commerce channel to the yeah. retail channel. Um, how do you make sure that these, these teams, which are very accustomed to autonomy and very accustomed to having a backlog that's self-defined, how do you interject work that allows uh, the business initiative to be met at the same time um, not interfere with some of the thing, the sort of the more routine things that that team is trying to solve. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I joined last year, uh, we were in the midst of launching a, a brand new product, contact lenses. And, uh, you know, Warby has always been known as a glasses company to introduce contact lenses, despite the fact that it's just, it is technically another, just another type of product was extremely challenging because of all the different ways that we had to change our processes to accommodate this type of order. Wow. Um, everything from the kind of pres- getting prescriptions validated uh, and getting doctors to consent to this being, uh, or uh, for doctors to consent to the, the patient wearing contacts to the logistics involved with getting contacts uh, or fulfilled, which is very different from, you know, um, made to order glasses. Um, and so I think uh, any organization that has a, a large enough team and, and you have enough cross-cutting concerns, that, that's an example of where, uh, as a tech leader, how do you get everyone in line? How do you make sure that work, work streams and deliverables align properly with the larger business initiative schedule? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, uh, yeah, I, I can imagine it's uh, quite challenging. And, and I guess the... Um, uh, the, the risk of something uh, change happening across these different areas, it can be quite uh, catastrophic, I, I guess, you know, God, that sounds really negative that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, in terms of, you know, rolling out changes, which are kind of uh, running across the organization, how do you kind of mitigate the risk? Communication. Uh, that's, that's one of uh, the most important tools in many tech leaders toolboxes is frequent and methodical communication with all the people involved. 
maybe even over indexing when necessary because it you can while it's it's more it's definitely cumbersome to have to listen to the same uh same pitch or the same update three or four different times in the course of the week yeah it's, it's a lot less painful to have to clean up messes caused by lack of communication oh absolutely and and so whether it's um having the right meetings um the right outlets for communication the right way to socialize uh things in a way that allows other teams to respond in time and manner so if there's one team that's producing independence for another team um and uh, making sure that 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 the team who's expecting that dependency knows so hopefully to to the moment that that dependency is available as opposed to being surprised when that dependency is late and and, and as a result the uh, having their entire work stream uh, interrupted yeah. so um, yeah communication is obviously absolutely paramount and, and probably the other thing is planning uh, how do you go about uh, sort of segmenting your work and distributing the work in a way where if you have if they can't all if you can't, can't marshal everyone at the same time towards that singular objective and that this has to essentially be something that's done in, somewhat of an asynchronous manner yeah. how do you break up that work so that team a can complete that work uh in enough time for team b to take it over or uh for team c to come in and uh, make the necessary add-on changes that uh, to team a's work so that it can that the the out- end outcome will be uh be in time for everyone excellent that's great wow um yeah I mean, there's some real good kind of gems that you've kind of shared there song so in terms of um you know, bringing, bringing this time together to a close. Um, what, what takeaway would you like to kind of share with the tech community out there as a, as a parting gift? Mm, uh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. It's such a large audience. Uh, I would say if I were to tell the tech community anything, I would say uh, the most important thing you can do for yourself and for your team is just to be transparent. Uh, I, I think transparency and and openness to what uh, what you're doing is extremely effective. Um, never let the team question your the why, uh, or at least wonder if there's a why. Uh, providing the why in any given scenario always helps diffuse any concerns about intention or, or motivations or agenda. Um, I think that for me, that's been a really powerful tool and uh, almost every place I've been to sort of help, help develop that trust and that, uh, and, and that you need in order to, you know, influence your team. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the most important thing. And, and, um, and I think too often in tech, at least some of the, some of the tech, I think the stereotypes around some of the tech community, um, it's often seen as sort of a weakness to, to, to not have uh, sort of a, to, for not to not be decisive or to not sort of have sort of a, a sort of a command and control structure that this idea of unitary direct decision making is something that I think it's sort of it's seen as more effective than say a bit a more consensus built uh, model mm-hmm. uh, but while there's obviously there's pitfalls to both um, and benefits to both it's important to find that balance where you, people feel like you're making decisions that are well-reasoned and even if they don't agree with it, they can agree with the outcome. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's one, one sort of important uh, being able to make those kinds of st- decisions important, but also 
uh, making sure the team feels like they have an outlet to voice their concerns, that they can have healthy debates, and that they can feel uh, that they can feel heard when they are then when they speak about something that means something to them. Because if it didn't mean anything, they wouldn't be speaking to you about it. Yeah, I love that. Wow. So thank you for that song. It's been great takeaways there and uh, um, so thank you for your time and um, good luck to Warby Parker during this kind of challenging time and uh, congratulations on your kind of core values I I love what you've shared here oh thank you very much appreciated and very much enjoyed our time together and uh, looking forward to hearing the outcome as well Uh, thank you bye-bye bye-bye well what a lovely gentleman it was wonderful speaking to Sung about his leadership style and ensuring the organization's values seep into the bones of everyday operations Following on from that, I love that the organisation, Warby Parker, has a value around integrity and it actually tries to bring that to life. Not just some PR stunt. This is what attracts Sung to the company. From the outside in, the culture feels open and life-affirming. A win for the org and a win for the people. Something that's very close to my heart. I love organisations like this. Also, it's great to see that Sung is a champion of the agile values and principles. A leader after my own heart. So, my takeaways from our short conversation were the importance of values. It's powerful to repeat the values like a mantra so that they become part of the organisation. Speak to and ask the agile values and principles across the full spectrum of your organisation. Another key takeaway for me was be focused on the outcomes of the work you are delivering, i.e. the commander's intent to inspire solution mindset in the team. I love that term, the commander's intent. So there were many, many more takeaways. But to keep it short and sweet, I'll stop there. And before I leave, I'd just like to remind you to remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to IT Labs webinar series. URLs to do that can be found at the bottom of this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after yourself and keep safe. Wishing you all a wonderful day or evening from all of us at IT Labs. So, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.